0: Welcome to the Adventure Audio Podcast. In this episode, Laval and I got to interview Natalie Long, who is the event director and race planner of Expedition Canada, which is an adventure racing company based in British Columbia, Canada. Uh, Adventure racing is a fascinating world uh, that Laval has participated in as a racer, and that is actually how he met Natalie. He was a participant in her race just last year and had an unbelievable time, was really, really impressed with the entire production. And uh, we're very happy to have Natalie on. Like a lot of our guests, we could easily have a part two with Natalie because she's an incredible athlete herself, a very accomplished ultra runner, which we only just touched on a little bit in this episode. So hopefully we can have her back. And thank you everybody for tuning in. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the State Bicycle Company, who you can visit at statebicycle.com. And they are bringing an exclusive deal to Adventure Audio listeners right now. If you use code AUDIO23, so AUDIO23, you will get 23% off your order right now from State Bicycle Company. So State already represents unbelievable value for both bicycles, parts, and apparel. Really anything that you see on that website is incredibly well-priced. So to get an additional 23% off is a fantastic deal. So please visit them at statebicycle.com and use code AUDIO23. The podcast is also brought to you by Rewire Fitness. It's a mental fitness platform that helps athletes reach their full potential and avoid burnout by providing integrated tools that improve readiness, recovery, and resilience. We all know that mental toughness contributes to at least 50% of our athletic performance, yet how much time do we actually spend training our minds? So that's where Rewire comes in. The Neuro Buttons from Rewire are ideal for indoor cycling practices. With brain training layered into your workouts, you can improve your ability to cope with mental demands and build mental fitness. To learn more, visit rewirefitness.app for 45% off today. 45% visit rewirefitness.app. So thank you to Staten to Rewire onto this episode of the podcast.
1: Natalie Long joins us today, Pete. Uh, Natalie and I go back to last summer where she was the race director of Expedition Canada, Canada's toughest adventure race. And uh, she's joining us from uh, Kelowna, British Columbia. Welcome. Thank you. Very nice. How is, how is it in Kelowna today?
2: Uh, it's a bit chilly, but well, I mean like Kelowna chilly, but it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a nice day-ish. A bit gray.
1: Okay. So, for, for our listeners, um, Natalie, let's start off with uh, adventure racing. I mean, adventure racing used to be big in the 90s. Um, it got really big in the 90s. And uh, that's when I was doing most of my adventure racing, the, the late 90s and the early 2000s. And then it sort of petered out again and it sort of has a, it's had a bit of a rebirth. So, tell our listeners uh, what adventure racing is.
2: So, adventure racing is mountain biking, trekking, paddling with Ointering. So you have a map and a campus, and you have to find what we call checkpoints, or little or flags. So that's the only flagging that you would have, and you're not allowed to have any GPS. Um, and expedition races like Expedition Canada is an adventure race that you do in Team of 4, usually at least one man, at least one woman in the team. Um, and you have to stay within 100 meters of each other, and an expedition race can go up to 10 days long nonstop.
0: Okay. So what do you, what do you owe the, the resurgence of, uh, adventure racing to? Because you, like Laval said, it definitely had a huge boom, largely because of television, right. And sort of the way that it was covered. Um, I it, and sorry, it's escaping me now. You guys will know the name of the company that, that really put it on the map. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was huge. And then, and it's sort of like what happened and how has it ebbed back?
2: So it's funny because it didn't disappear everywhere Uh, in Canada for sure it did but I so I lived in Australia for five years and that's how I started adventure racing I didn't know about adventure racing before even if I lived in France before and it was big there I was it's super big in New Zealand uh, and super big in Europe as well but in Canada back east it was a little bit there when i moved back to canada like maybe 15 years ago now um i could still race there it was a a little bit bigger but when i moved here it was almost inexistent and then eco challenge came back um with mark burnett put one with amazon in 2019 i believe it was um so i went there it was in fiji um And that just created a massive boom. Like people just realized that adventure racing was still alive and new people like discovered about adventure racing and everyone wanted to do it. So it was our first year putting on Expedition Canada at the time. And we're sold out, like we had a wait list and then Mm -hmm. COVID hit. And COVID hit like almost instantly. And then we had to postpone the race. And because of the two years of COVID like people it's like people forgot about adventure yeah. thing, and then like the needed... amazon
0: series was so well done my my prior mm-hmm. uh podcast co-host tyler hamilton and i hosted mark and travis macy um mm-hmm. after after we watched the series which was so well produced so yeah i mean take us through how you start to navigate that because what a difficult time right you've got everything ready to go
2: yeah it's happened so... to a
0: lot of races right
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, it happened to a lot of races, and, and we need that push. But, and there was supposed to be another good challenge in Patagonia after Fiji, right. but with COVID and, and other things that happened in the television world, uh, they decided to Amazon decided not to go for it. Um, so we were really hoping that that will go, because we know that that will attract more people to the sport. So we tried to do something on our end, um a very low budget compared to what amazon had but we filmed the making of expedition canada that's now on uh, television subject tv and um, we're trying to push it to amazon and it's on vimeo as well so it's a ten uh, ten uh, eight episodes sorry on um, the making of expedition Canada but also the last two episodes are the race uh, probably and we are doing a second season this year, so we're going to try to focus more on teams, a bit more like they did it for the for the show. It's now that's way outside <laughs> of the
0: scope of what you originally were trying Sorry. to do, right? Like that's oh, yeah. that's I mean, what a what a leap to go from producing a race to producing the coverage of the race is com- a completely different yeah. skill set, right?
2: Yeah, well, I do have uh, I do have a really good uh, production company, uh, AW Media, um, that that's helping us out. So I'm playing producer for the company, but really is, uh, is the talent behind it.
1: Okay. So, so the, the, um, just for our listeners to know, Natalie is actually about to leave on a scouting mission for, um, expedition Canada coming up this may in the Okanagan. So, um, we actually moved our podcast time to allow her to get out nice and early into the backcountry of uh, BC to do this. Um, How much work is it? How many hours do you think you put into the race last year? And and for the listeners, I did that race. It was about 540 to 600K long. Um, And what I can tell you, the listeners, there's a lot of cyclists who listen to this podcast. Natalie loves biking because there were some serious cycling sections. So how long did it take you to put the race together from the time you thought about it? I think you and was it you and Lindy who um, thought it up together? What was was the, the birth of Expedition Canada?
2: So, I've been racing expedition races since 2010, um, and when I moved to BC, it was about six, seven years ago, and I was, training for, I was training for an expedition race, and I was looking up small races to do, and there was two multi-sport races, one in Kelowna, one in Penticton, like a week apart, that were um, snowshoe, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, mountain biking, road biking, uh, trail running, and paddling. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to enter that solo because it's perfect training for me and should be like around seven, eight hours long. So I entered both of them and I won the solo um, in Kelowna and came second at the the other one. And Lindy was the race director. And she was like, oh, wow, wait, wait, we never had like a solo doing both of them. And you're a girl and you're beating the boys and most of the teams. What's going on? So that's how we met, and I was working at, at Mecca Design. So we had we kind of collaborated like for her race. She was asking for some um, sponsorship from Mac, and then the next year I went again and, and beat all the boys on both. And she was like, "You need to come work for us." And we started chatting about like expedition races and how I would love to put an expedition race there. And there was a lot of changes going on uh, at, at Mecca Design. And i was in charge of the events for the last six months i was there and then they kind of cut the events and changed everything and i, s- I just said to her like i just lost my events a position i don't know if i if i can stay there and she's like oh we just lost our event person i think that's a sign so i just started working with her and as soon as i started working with her we worked on expedition canada So So when was,
1: when was that, I mean, for the 2022 race, when, when did you start, when did you first click into your pedals and ride off up a logging road to start scouting it out and how long did it take?
2: It's about a year, about a year, but I always have like, I, that's my lifestyle, right? I I ride, I bike, I, I run, I paddle all the time. So the first edition was the easiest for me to put together because I just knew exactly where I wanted to take them. And I knew the terrain. For last year I had to start going out of where I train usually and discover more and more places. Um so it's a it's a it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um and this race is even I'm trying to take them even more in the backcountry and stuff like that. So I have to go on my own. And there's some scouting sessions where we spend like seventy five K on the bike to realise that it's a dead end because it's private properties and we have to redo it all again, all over. So yeah, there was uh like thousands thousands of K's on the bikes for mm-hmm. sure and uh, same on foot.
1: Did you have um, a say did you have a favorite leg of that uh, race last year?
2: Uh, well yeah yes and I think that was the least favorite for the races. But um so the leg that was going over Apex, I did it in summer. And it was the most beautiful meadow. We saw a, a lynx jumping in front of us and just running on a trail, like, in front of us. It was a really awesome, like, sixty-seven uh, 60-something K um, on foot. But then the weather gods last year decided to throw, like, snow when there is no snow in, uh, in June. And then when I went scouting this leg to make sure it was okay a couple of weeks before... I had even more snow. I was post hauling on snowshoes up to my knees for 25k. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Yeah, that, um, there was a ton of snow there
1: went. last year in the middle of summer. I mean, it was Yeah. It just uh, When did you tell us to bring snowshoes? Was it like a week or 3 days before it was, the start?
2: No, no, it was a couple of weeks before. Was that's it? when yeah. I went Yeah, that's when I went testing it and be like, hmm, okay. <laughs> it's not going to be like expected, but um, and then last year I managed to put some really good single tracks that I really liked to, in your course, um, so like at Smith and, um, um, on your way to Concord mountain, you had some mm-hmm. single tracks that I really liked there.
0: Now, yeah. in order to build something out and for it to be called an adventure race officially, mm-hmm. is, are there some sort of parameters that you have to follow with respect to how much of one specific discipline or how many disciplines need to be involved in that? or is that is it a clean slate and you can kind of build it into whatever you want it to be
2: you can almost put like build it as as you want as long as you have like some trekking some paddling some mountain biking that's what really is the the adventure race and usually you can include some ropes so last year I made them zipline and rappel Um, but in in adventure race I did some sopping so stand up paddling uh, some caving uh some climbing with jima like in Fiji where we climb like i don't know how many hundreds of meters um some proper climbing you know again we had that uh, we had some kind of mountaineering a bit as well so yeah you can uh, you can almost put it like as as you want make it okay. as you want
0: but there's no requirement for ratios like there would be for say a triathlon
2: no there's no requirement but like you would not put A race that's 95% biking, like it just doesn't make sense for an adventure race.
1: Right, okay. So what about, um, uh, what happened in our races, remember the river was so high and we had to to shorten that segment. But you must always have to have backup plans for let's say there's bear activity along a, a route or there's flooding or there's a forest fire. So you must have to not only build the route, but you must have to have alternate routes ready to roll just in case, with permission granted. I'm assuming.
2: So the permit, the permits is huge task. That's what takes me the the longest, because there's like a, the same trail can be belonging to three or four different um, people. Like it can be from BC Park, Rec trails, Crown, Indian bands, private owners, cities, towns. Or mountain bike club associations, or ski club associations. So I have to have stakeholders. There's lots of stakeholders. To, yeah. yeah, I have to have permissions from every everyone, um, and then um, I usually meet, or at least let know, search and rescue in each area that we go. Uh, our plan, and that's how I got told to change uh, that section. So for that little story on the on the river. I went out, so I raced in Oregon like three weeks before my race, before Mm -hmm. Expedition Canada. And they sent us in class threes plus, class four, like some class fours on Packraft. And I I had a bit of PTSD because I swam so much. And like a week later, I needed to test our course. And I tested the part of the river that you guys didn't get to do. And for some reason, we had like, the river was a lot higher than I've ever seen it. And, um, and there was like some trees that went down, et cetera. And it was very unnerving to do that part of the river. The KVR, the, the, the Kettle Re, um, Valley Red Trail had collapsed on some parts, so there was no way to get out of the river. And we were in that really flowing river, not knowing if there were strainers or anything. And when we got out of that with Lindy, we were like, okay, we need to have plans. Like, this is not gonna be an easy river as we thought it would be because we Mm -hmm. hadn't paddled that before. And then the day before the race, we got told that there was a flood advisory for that town that could um, be completely flooded. So that's when I started having a Plan B and Plan C, um, but we didn't have like I didn't have a place where to put a transition until like the night before, the morning wow. off, wow. that band racing where like, the first team came in. So it was just I was a monkey, like struggling, like to call people, being like, "Hey, can we use your parking lot? Uh, can we do this so we can like?" Re- oh, so that was the
1: the Cara- the pull pullout, you mean, where we pulled out in Carameas? Is that what you're talking about, or where we put in
2: the Princeton? Uh, at Princeton, where yeah. like where you change to go packrafting? yep, uh, the town of Princeton's been like amazing because I called them like on a Monday morning, I left her messages at like six thirty a m on her phone, we we're call like, me as soon as you get to work, please. And then within half an hour that she was in at work, like she had found like a place for us to set up and, and it's like it's lessons.
1: like moving a military. it's it's like a military operation. The amount of volunteers, the amount of people, the amount of of redundancy have to have. It's unbelievably complex, isn't it?
2: Oh yeah. And we were really lucky last year, like the first year we had a lot of volunteers, but volunteers that could stay only a few hours at a time. And I don't know if you imagine, but it's a nonstop race. So trying to brief new volunteers that come every three hours, is just not, not doable last year. We had volunteers that stayed out for four days, nonstop. Out there so it was really easy I had to breathe them they could breathe like the new volunteers were already come for a few hours to relieve them so they could sleep it was uh, yeah it was fantastic like the volunteers are always yeah,
1: amazing and and for huge. the people who weren't in the race and this is not an ad for the race but uh really professionally done really well run yep. everybody all the volunteers are incredibly friendly lindy was at, at, she seemed like there was multiple Lindys around. She always had that dimply mm-hmm. smile of hers. She's got that famous smile. And then the how professional the video work was at the end. Really a, a, a tremendous uh, race. One of the best ones I've ever done. So tons of work went into it. Really well done. Thank you. Incredibly complex, like I, I, I've organized
0: fondos and I've organized, I do still organize a mountain bike race, but that's very contained, at least even though it covers a decent amount of ground and it does go into the backcountry. I'm imagining taking my course from being a loop and expanding it and opening up and then like tripling the disciplines that we need to worry about. And I just can't even yeah. imagine what you guys do. Like,
1: you're not going to get any competition from me. <laughs> So what's the, are you are, are, do you think you're starting to, Natalie, are you starting to flow into a different part of your career now? Are you going to focus more on putting on the events or are you going to continue to try and balance both? Are you going to try and race as much? Or?
2: So the last couple of years I actually raced, well, obviously with, with COVID and stuff, but since Fiji I've raced less um, expedition races. I was doing. Uh, I was focusing a bit more on ultras. I uh, run UTMB for the last couple of years, um, and I so I did Expedition Oregon last year. But because of UTMB, like it was always focusing mm-hmm. more on the running. So this year I decided to race more, uh, and I've got three expedition races this year, which is the max. Like I've never done more than two a year. Um, so hopefully, my body's gonna hold up. Hold up. But, um, yeah, so I'm actually racing more or as much as I used to as being like a, a race director. I mean, like my job as a race director and as a race designer for Expedition Canada is perfect training for expedition racing. So Yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah. It is, so- but it's, it's different because you can, you have an opportunity to pile on volume, but you're not able to, um, uh. You know, you're sacrificing a lot in in your training by 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 mul- by making it multi-purpose in order to go out and plan courses and stuff, right? So very um, complex.
2: Well, like today, today I'm gonna have like a five hours on foot. So who can say that they can fit a five hour training in during the weekday?
0: Mm-hmm. Great point. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other thing and... that's complex about this, both from a from racing standpoint and also from a organizer standpoint, is you never really know exactly when a race is going to end either, do you?
2: So I've got now like, I, so I've done 18, 18 expedition lamps races in my life so far. And I've got a really good idea of where I stand in terms of pacing between the fast teams and, and the slow team. The first year, my timing was a little bit off, but not by much, but it was still a little bit off because I took my time. And I was like, okay, I'm usually in the 75% like of the of the time. So the fastest team should be 25% faster mm-hmm. than me. But what I didn't realize is that I do my legs one day after one day. So I'm fresh yeah. when I do them. Mm-hmm. Uh so, so now I actually take my times and they're usually the fastest times. So it's pretty it's pretty easy. And I'm very generous for my first ever race that I did, I didn't. We didn't cross the finish line. We got shortcut, but we got shortcut so far in the race that we didn't get to do the last one. And and I know how frustrating it is. I, I raced for eight days in my first race, and after eight days not being able to pass the finish line was a, a big disappointment. So I leave my course open for like almost twice as long for the teams to finish and race shortcuts as well. So they may okay. be missing some legs, but they will pass the finish line and and have time to finish with their teams, even if they are sleeping five hours instead of two. You know. See, that's Not a the...
0: it's a whole other thing to consider, though, right? You need to consider mm-hmm. what if what if somebody needs to shortcut so that they can still keep on a pace. To even give them that option is something that you need to plan and bake into the event again, right? And then you need to have yeah. then you need to monitor those routes. You need to clean those routes after they all need to be swept. They need to be. But that's
2: what's great about adventure racing is that there's no marking except for the checkpoints. So yes, I have to go back again out and pick up the checkpoints after. But I don't necessarily if I have like two checkpoints eighty K away. Yeah, you're right. Okay. There's no
1: marking, that's right. right. Yeah. It
0: makes it yeah, big. You don't big need things. to unmark the course, but yeah, yeah, I see. What I still need.
2: have to go to the top of the mountain to get my flag. But... Yeah,
1: but you love that. <laughs> so, so one thing that our listeners, some of our listeners who don't adventure race, because this is probably largely a running and a cycling crowd is that is the way that we sleep or not sleep on an adventure race. And there's a real, um, I think it's a, more of a black art than a science to it. So on, on what is the longest you've gone without sleep on a, on a race?
2: So I think it's actually, it was actually for UTMB because, uh, makes you start at 6 p.m. And unless you're killing John, or Courtney, you will spend two nights, full nights, outside. And they're cut off, so I don't think I can sleep. Otherwise, I'm not making the cut-offs. Like, mm-hmm. I I mean, I, I still had like six, seven hours like ahead of the cut-off, but I, yeah, so I went through two nights without sleeping, which was super hard. Like, last year, I had someone with me, but I did it twice without someone. And mm-hmm. spending two nights awake with no one around is... It's something
1: that three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning thing is uh, is really difficult because you get into your window of circadian low. And what's amazing uh, when you get into these situations and you're not sleeping is you you get into this deep, deep fatigue around three a.m., four a.m. But as soon as the sun peaks above the horizon and once you sort of get a view of the sun, it's incredible what your body does. Mm-hmm. It, it can completely restart it. Did you notice that on the UTMB?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. All the time. And in races in general, I know that as soon as the light is out, we're going to be able to move. That's why we don't sleep during daytime yeah. ever. As
1: soon as the light is out, it's it's like a boost of espresso times 10. But you can be at the lowest point of your life fatigue-wise. And then as soon as the sun peaks up above the horizon, you're able to go again. But, but what fatigue does is, is it doesn't just affect you. I don't think it affects you so much physically. I don't think it affects your endurance so much. I think studies have shown that it, it more affects your cognitive ability, your decisions when you're right. orienteering, for example, when you are, um, you know, getting to a, a transition, you've got to grab your gear, but you're super fatigued. That's when you start to make the mistakes, or you make a mistake when you, you know, you stumble or something and end up in a creek. And 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 that's one thing about adventure racing, which is different than all other endurance racing, is that we just don't sleep, and, and it, it just lends a whole different um, complexity to the race, doesn't it?
2: And hallucinations. Like I, I noticed that after thirty-six hours, for me, is when hallucinations starts. Oh to, yeah. To happen. What have
1: you seen? What are the? What are your? What are your strangest hallucinations?
2: Oh, I've seen many things. <laughs> uh, my first one ever was just above legs in jeans and walking. Uh, no trunk, no upper body. Just no torso. Legs. No torso. Um, and then my. My favorite one, I would say, was in Ecuador. Um, I was racing with uh, with my ex at the time. And um, w- middle of the night, we didn't sleep the first night. We got two hours sleep the second night. And then the plan was to sleep every night after that for two hours. But we got on top of a mountain. It was super cold and, and rainy and stuff. So we didn't sleep the third night. And during the fourth night, we were trying to get to a transition to sleep middle of nowhere, it's Ecuador, we're on a gravel road, um, walking up at 3am, and I look on the side, and um, and I'm like, oh, there's some, some merchants, like, they're there, and they made those little frogs out of leaves and little stems, and they're little frogs on bicycles, and I started, like, mumbling to myself that I really would like this for the living room, because it was really cute, and of course, I'm so tired, right? it's a mix of French and English at the time, and... And Max was like, uh, what's happening? I mean, like, he's as sleep deprived as I as I am?" And I'm like, "I would like one uh, for the living room." And he's like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "Just the leaf frog, you know, like it's right here." Like, and and a massive argument started just on my, like on my path because <laughs> he didn't do anything. And I started crying, saying that he never let me like get anything. And, and then I would fall asleep and keep on walking, like sleeping. And then I oh, would yeah. wake up and start again with my leaf frog, but I really wanted to have it. And by the time we got to that transition, I, he said I did like three steps. It was a concrete old church. I did three steps and face planted, and we let me sleep here for like right two on hours. The rocks. And hours. Yeah, and then we just like shook me. And like, okay, time to go on the bike. And I was like, okay. But (laughs)
1: didn't that two didn't that two hours feel good though? It's incredible. You just you feel recharged. Yeah. The 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 strangest thing I saw: we were doing raid the north, and um, it was in northern or northern uh, Ontario, and uh, one of our teammates she fell asleep mountain biking high speed down a gravel road and crashed. And luckily she was okay, but she just fell asleep. Or you'd be. We did another race in Golden, and she was uh, the the one of the girls on our team was reading a map with me. And all of a sudden she just crashed into the rocks and was snoozing in the rocks up in the Alpine with snow and incredible what fatigue can do. But how, how in an emergency 20 minute, a 20 minute nap can recharge you and get you going again.
2: Yeah. And also like on a normal day when you're hiking and you just sit on rocks, like you would never think to lay down on rocks. You would be like, oh, this is so uncomfortable and it can be the best sleep ever in a race. Ever. Just,
1: up in the Alpine, yeah. laying on yeah. the rock. <laughs> in the tundra Mm -hmm. what about physical ailments what have you had did you get sick in ecuador what about i heard fiji was extremely cold hypothermia was a big issue in fiji from all the immersion in the water isn't that correct
2: so yes it is correct but i uh i was sick for fiji for the entire race i uh like a few people got really sick we drank some water at the hotel that was not right and so from the start of the race until the end of the race i had uh, gi issues um so that was my main hurdle uh, for the race. But cold um, Oregon last year was the coldest I've ever been. They had some snow that was not expected. I heard. Um, you should have seen REI with all the races like panic buying everything <laughs> the, the day before the race. I bought a pair of um, Gore-Tex shoes because I didn't pack any um, that got waterlogged on the first day in my bike box and froze over. So I spent... Three four days with um, normal running shoes in the snow. Ouch! Um, there were some like a guy got rescued for apothermia. His teammate Karin uh, had three black toes. Uh, yeah, and no, it was really really cold. Like, a, and I won. Uh, I won an award for the person that uh, complained the most about the cold on that race. <laughs> yeah so, so yeah. it's
1: adventure racing anything from extreme cold to being wet all the time to being boiling hot depends what part of the world you're in but you can get oh, it yeah. all in one day
2: yeah yeah australia like i raced in australia a few times and it can get really really hot and there's nothing you can do for the when it's too hot like there's so many layers you can take off and
1: yeah yeah you can dress for the cold but you can't dress for the heat mm-hmm. What about, uh, what about injuries? What are, how, how's the body holding up knees, ankles, elbows, back, shoulders, all the paddling, how, how's it, how are so you feeling?
2: I'm, I'm better now than I've, than I've ever been. I would say like I, when I started racing, I would get injured like a fair bit. Uh, I think now I, I do my training a bit more consciously. Like I will do some weight training during the winter and to try to avoid getting injured too much. Um, but in races, I mean, like I, I'm not someone who knows how to fall. Every time I fall, I break. Um, so I did, uh, well, scouting actually, scouting for Expedition Canada, the first one. Oh no, for the second one, for the one that you did, I got heli-backed. Um, <laughs> what? yeah, yeah. I went over the bars on a mountain bike three weeks before UTMB and oh. I hit my, um, I hit my femur. And I got a Charlie horse, but a Charlie horse, you, you don't know, like the your leg is just dead. It doesn't work. Yeah. So I tried to stand up and I couldn't. And we were in the middle of nowhere and and I had to be a devout. Um so there's that for a week like I would have almost no sensation on the leg and then it started coming back. But in races I broke my wrist twice. I finished the race. I keep on racing because I know I knew where I was. Um, and I'm very stubborn um wait a minute wait a
1: minute was there paddling after you broke your wrist
2: oh yeah yeah yeah. it was on day it was on day two at the world champs in ecuador i uh i fell on cobblestone and uh and so there was five days of biking on cobblestones mostly um and paddling white water and also ropes where we had to like pull ourselves and stuff um i had to sign a release um no shit so the the guy the had transition put it back in place because it was dislocated and they made us all sign a release saying that if something happened to my hand like it's my my call and when i got to canada i got x-rays and i had like micro fractures in my wrist um and yeah i got a big lecture saying that i should not have kept going and blah 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 but it's done it was done <laughs> uh yeah so it was painful
1: I don't know if Pete agrees, but I find that when you get injuries other than bones, but muscle injuries. I fell once in an adventure race as well and got heli helivacked off the top of a mountain in the Queen Charlotte's. But um, like 11 days later, I was on an expedition in Nunavut and my doctor told me not to do anything, but I just kept on doing stuff. Just kept on moving, kept on going to the gym, kept on riding my bike if, if I could. I had trouble walking, but it seems to me that motion in a lot of situations is medicine for healing, especially if you're an outdoor athlete versus if you took the advice all the time of, mm-hmm. of a physician just to, to rest, you never would have gone to UTMB. I'm sure.
2: No. Oh no, 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 there's no way. Like when I say to them, like I'm running 171 K, like K and, and climbing 10,000 meters in three weeks. So they're like, no, you're not. I'm like, mm-hmm, yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> Watch me. But I, um, I have a perfect example for that. I, um, I crashed, I was ski touring where I wasn't supposed to, and uh, it was a whiteout, and I didn't see a cliff, and I just fell like uh, six feet or seven feet, but I wasn't expecting it, and my ankles really really sore, and we managed to make me ski down on like one ski and a half, Um, and I went to the ER, and they put me in a boot, and she was like, you're done for the season. That's in November. And she said, like, you're done for the season. I was like, what? I, I called my, um, my physio. I called him, like, crying. And I was like, she said that I'm done for the season? Like, she must be kidding. It's like, just come see me in a week. And he got me off the boot right away. He got me moving. So I would go to the gym with my crutches. And I would, uh, it took me three minutes to do one revolution. The first time that I went to the gym. And the guy at the front counter was just shaking his head, like, what is she doing here? And within a couple of weeks, I was at 90. And yeah. just by going every day.
1: <laughs> but imagine if you wouldn't have pushed it.
2: But that's it. If uh, if I had listened to the ER doctor, I would have been, like, sitting on my bum for three, four months, like, two months with the, the cast. And then it would have been so stuck there that I would oh, have yeah. been able to, to move again really quickly. So.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying that we don't want to listen to doctors, that's for sure, but I'm saying that I think as uh, as outdoor athletes, you know your body better than the general public and you know what what pain makes sense and what pain doesn't make sense and you know how to sort of take it to the edge without doing more damage and, and there's some pain that is informative pain that tells you that you have to stop and then there's some pain that's just part of the injury that you can push through and and it's always been my um, philosophy that if you can move it, then use it. And then if it's just too painful, then you back it off a bit. But it seems to always speed up the recovery process and leaves you better on the other side.
2: But that's also that's also that I think as athletes, when you do lots of sports, your recovery is a lot faster. Mm-hmm. So when something happens, like I usually like touch wood, but um, I usually recover a lot faster than a physician will think i would yeah
1: exactly well,
0: <laughs> that's, those are some good stories <laughs> but, yeah. wow um so when is the race
2: Your um, race. the race i organize uh yeah. so that's expedition canada is may 23rd to 29th this year
0: may 23rd to 20 want to come you still have weather to deal with still oh, yeah i mean in can't like well you always have weather to deal with if you're racing in canada but you you you'll have a particular amount of weather to deal with then
2: well and, yeah but like in the valley in the valley it's it's fully spring like early summer already uh, at that time yeah of yeah year.
0: you're um you're a good 45 days ahead of calgary for spring right as soon as yeah, you're on yeah, the yeah. west side of the tour or of the divide it's it's yeah makes a huge difference spring. it does
2: and then so, at least at least the snow is going to be still firm in the mountains compared to last year where it was getting slushier um, getting slushier
1: <laughs> holy shit it was snowshoeing <laughs> it was snowshoeing for like i think it was 60 or 70k with um breaking through like a, a night it would freeze but during the heat of the day you were breaking through into about 50 centimeters of water. So you were always wet, always going through the ice, but it was, yeah, it was an amazing race. I can't say enough about it. So how does, before we let you go, how would you recommend that number one, people get into adventure racing? Where do they start? Number two, um, people are going to be intimidated by our stories about the distances. I mean, we we haven't even broken down the legs of Expedition Canada, but I, I can remember you know, doing a, like an 80k mountain bike, hard mountain bike. Remember guys, you're carrying a pack. Sometimes you're carrying other gear. Sometimes you might be carrying paddles and dry suits and pack rafts. And then you do it, let's say a short 27 or 30k trail run. And then you get on your bike and do another 140k of maybe it was 140 or 170k of very, very big climbs. I mean, some of the climbs up to that ski hill in Princeton amazing out of the care out of Carameas up that biblical Mm -hmm. gravel climb so these (laughs) these are things that uh, don't even compute for most people so how would you get into it how would you recommend that first of all anybody who gets into it and how about a how about a a, a young lady who wants to get into adventure racing where do they go give us some resources
2: so we do put on some small races and there are small races pretty much anywhere like I uh, like Swamp Donkey in Manitoba, uh, Rocky Mountain in Calgary, uh, there's Mountain uh, Moma, Mountain over, Man over Mountain uh, yep. adventure race in Vancouver, and the Hoodoo one puts uh, a big horn bushwhack. that's there's a three-hour option, eight-hour, and then there's a twenty-four hours in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those are, are good to start. But just to mention, like. I I did adventure race for a year. I did triathlon for a year, did a half Ironman, did adventure racing for a year with some multi-stage things. And then a year later, I was doing my first 10, 10 days adventure race.
1: But so you had like, a base, you had a big base ahead of that though, right? So
2: I had two years, Yeah, two years of like adventure, of like moving, multi i never done. Yeah. But never did like something long before. Um, and we put on uh, an adventure racing camp uh, that's completely sold out this year, but we've got twenty-five people of um, that's great. Uh, new people coming for a weekend, and we learn how to use a map and a compass in you know, on a boat, on bikes, on foot at night, um, and we teach them some ropes as well, some some rope skills. And All
1: and skills. where is this? Who is this hoodoo that's putting on the course?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's at hoodoo oh, adventures.
1: And this is something you put on once a year then?
2: Uh, Yes, I had it uh, twice one year. So, the year that um, uh, the show, The World Surface Race, went on TV, uh, Eco Challenge, we had a couple of those. And then the last two years, it was a bit less. We had less interest. But this year, I wanted to have 16 people. And I just keep on having emails saying, please, please, can you just add us to the course? (laughs) Yeah, and it's a week before the small race, the eight-hour race. Mm-hmm. And it's a few weeks before Expedition Canada. So even some people that do Expedition Canada come to that course too um, because we talk about packing, about tips, about sleep strategies. and
1: Transitions are huge. Them. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a whole – we could do a podcast on transitions, how important yeah. it is to get your transitions right because you can blow a lot of time in a transition. Yeah like an hour can go by easily where an elite team can do it in like between six 20 and minutes. 20 minutes. Like it's crazy yeah. how, how much of a difference that makes. So we're going to put links to all this in, in the show notes, uh, Natalie. And then um, where can people follow you? Because uh, you've got a great Instagram uh, account uh, of your training all over the place. So where can, where can people follow you on Instagram and Twitter or where, wherever else?
2: So I'm I'm on Instagram at uh, Nat Ozzy that's my
1: uh... oh that's that accent an Aussie accent eh? <laughs> and
2: then um yeah I'm Instagram Facebook and then Expedition Canada has its own uh, little like uh, Instagram account and Facebook account as well um yeah that's it. and uh, sometimes on Hudu too when I do races they they post they post on Expedition Canada mostly but um some updates about the team and how we're moving and stuff like that
1: and how many uh spots are available for the race in may or team spots i should say obviously it's teams
2: uh we still have uh we still have like maybe five six spots that we could feel uh, okay. but there's only a few weeks left for um, registration
1: okay. okay listeners get we're your butts right away then
0: we're gonna yeah. catch somebody who needs a spark here and yeah he's gonna <laughs> register
1: yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll do that. And then if, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, uh, w- would they be able to message you or or in the comments on uh, on Instagram to ask you any questions?
2: Yeah, they can. Okay. Uh, they can do that or they can send me an email uh, at my Hoodoo email, the events at ca.
1: Perfect. Well, listen, hey, thanks for adjusting your schedule for us today. Um, good luck out there. I hope all will over talk about injuries, and even though you knocked on wood, I hope you don't get uh, <laughs> sprained, do sprained a an ankle on your five-hour uh, walkabout today. But yeah, uh, it was great good. to see you again, and I uh, hope to Thank race you. with you in the in the future. That
2: would great be to awesome. You Thank you. Yeah,
0: thanks
1: great for to meet you, you too. Appreciate okay, it. Okay, nice. take care.
2: messy Bye-bye.
0: Thank you again to Natalie for joining us on the podcast. That was a super fun conversation. And as I said at the beginning of the show, definitely worth having Natalie back on because there's a whole bunch of stories obviously in there in her own athletic career that we were uh, not able to get to today. But we definitely should be uh, very inspiring person. And I hope everybody gets an opportunity to check out Expedition Canada or even look them up on Instagram. They're obviously up to some really, really cool stuff. If you have any interest in the world of adventure racing, at all, check them out at Expedition Canada. Thank you everybody for tuning into the podcast. That's greatly appreciated. We really uh, value you taking a little bit of your time uh, to listen to our podcast. Thank you for doing so. If you're able to give us a positive rating or review on whatever podcast platform you find the show, we greatly appreciate that. Or just give us a share for an episode on social media that helps us find new audience members and helps us grow. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll be back next week.